0: Hello and welcome to Digfinvox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiaseo. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, share, subscribe. My guest today is Adrit Raha, Managing Director for Asia Pacific at InsurTech CoverGo. CoverGo helps insurance companies with enterprise-wide digitization. I asked Adrit about what are the trends, what these companies are looking for, how that's changing, and what new technologies, such as generative AI, mean for the industry and for Introtech. Ajit Raha, welcome to Ditchfin Box. Thank you, James. Good to be here. So, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, you are the APAC head for CoverGo. Um an insure tech helping the broader insurance world with digitization uh, and uh, it's got to start the company got to start in, um, in Hong Kong, but is now, I guess, uh, a global, a global business. Uh, and you yourself have a, a long career and you've been, you've worked in insurance. You've, you were co-founder of your own insure tech at one point. Um, so Before we get into kind of the big picture stuff around what's going on with insurance and digitization, just tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what was the mandate for you when you came in with, you already had a lot of background, but then when you came in to run APAC for CoverGo, uh, what was the job at that point?
1: Yeah, no, thanks, James. So I I guess, guess, you know, I I sit at this interesting intersection of uh, having spent time within carriers across multiple geographies, across multiple disciplines, um, so if you think about it, I've spent time in in London, Middle East, Singapore, and and done some global roles with um, some large B and C um, insurers, right? Um, and as part of that experience, I, I then went on to run my own startup in health and and embedded insurance, which which continues to sort of operate and and do fairly well out of India. Uh, and I think bringing all of that together, um, and and circumstantially having met uh, the founder Thomas. Uh, yeah, we ended up, you know, having an honest conversation about, you know, what he wants. And I think two things. One was a, I guess, it's a bit of pull and a bit of push, right? So I think he was looking to move to Europe and Americas to start looking at, you know, what's next and how do we expand the business to new territories. And he, he needed someone to come and help him manage all things Asia, right? And yeah. Asia Pacific, I guess. And as part of that, it's about, you know, how, how do we bring a bit of stability and, and maturity to existing businesses that we have here in the region? How do we... Um, continue to maintain some of the relationships with clients, investors, key stakeholders. And then how do we think about our next phase of growth? So that's uh, I guess that's what brought me to Covergo, and then it's been a year in.
0: so so love every day. great. Uh, we'll we'll get to some of that. Um, I, I definitely want to talk about how you scale an insure tech out of this region and and where you guys see that path. I think it'll probably end up dovetailing with the other thing I want to ask you about. Which we'll get into now, uh, which really is kind of where the insurance industry is when it comes to digitization, kind of at that enterprise level. Um, this is sort of what CoverGo started off doing, uh, helping carriers, um, I guess, sort their sort out themselves. Um, what is the the way that those needs are changing?
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a very relevant, very important question that you've asked, James. So. Um, let me start by perhaps um, explaining the landscape of the technology evolution that's happening in insurance. And and it's it's hard. Let me start mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It is slow and it's hard. And, and the reason for that is fundamentally one reason, if you ask me. it's It's core legacy rigid systems that have just been around for a very long time. And they do their job fundamentally. So the job gets done utilizing those old systems. What's not happening is it's not nimble it's not modular, it's not easy to sort of keep up with the pace of change that we're seeing. Uh, and that's where, um, you know, we're beginning to see, I guess, the introduction of companies like CoverGo and New Age, you know, no code, microservices first, modular technology companies that come in to support insurance uh, digitization fundamentally. Yep. So yeah. I, think, I think that's where we're seeing the big change.
0: But but why why is it that hard? Because obviously banks also have the similar issues that they they've had to deal with. Yet I hear it from both people in banking and from insurance that insurance continues to be several years behind. Um and you know, they why has it been harder in insurance? Is it less they don't have the the people uh, or they've just taken the the back office systems for granted, or they don't have they're not trading 24-7 algorithmically, so they don't have the same need on the For that kind of compute what's the what's the reason why insurance has been the laggard
1: yeah no again very 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 relevant question i i think a couple of things there right so one is like banking insurance is now embarking on what i would call a 30-year digital transformation journey right Mm -hmm. it just hadn't done it because there wasn't a need to do it um versus with banking given it was a, a very direct to consumer especially on the retail banking side framework um, you know, it, there was a need to build out a framework that that allowed consumers to interact differently, bankers to perform their jobs differently. Um, insurance is still very heavily intermediated. We mustn't yeah. forget that. And I don't think that has changed.
0: Particularly on the obviously anything facing a consumer, um, there's going to be an agent or maybe a bank assurance relationship there. Um, but is it but what about, let's say, the general insurer, the PNCs? Um, they don't have necessarily I mean, obviously, they probably sell through brokers. So again, it may not be a direct customer relationship, but these are still sort of corporate type relationships. There's there, I would think that that excuse that oh, I need my my agent to be face to face having coffee with somebody doesn't quite fit the the property and casualty side of the business.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting you say that. So when you when you dig deep and look under the hood, it's actually quite the opposite. Um. Mm-hmm. So. When you think of insurance as a whole, be it property casualty, life, or health, and if you think of those three broad categories, whether it's consumer or commercial, ninety-eight percent of insurance is intermediated in the broader APAC region. Okay. And if you break it down further, you're looking at probably sixty to sixty-five percent of that through agents and brokers. The rest is a combination of banker, potentially motor dealers, and and any other framework of intermediation that you see. Right. Right. So, um, and that's not going away in my view. And I think. Because of that, the digitization plays primarily on efficiency rather mm-hmm. than um, front-end customer interaction necessarily. Yeah. And of course, it's to also to keep up with the changing times. So how do we start thinking of um, you know, AI, a- ML, right? Yeah. And these are buzzwords that are, are creeping up on us, um, and, and we've got to be ready for them.
0: So obviously, COVID was a massive catalyst uh, for many businesses to go digital, in- including insurance. Um, you know, when you had everything locked down, uh, that face-to-face bread and butter connectivity was gone, right? And it was gone for a sustained period. So people had to figure out a different way to sell products, right? Or, you know, generate leads. Um, But CobraGo was around before COVID. So did that, did you all, and before your time, I guess a little bit, but, you know, you've been in the industry, so you should have a a handle on this. What was the, how, how important was that? And was that a one-off or uh, and, and people might just now say, well, that's over and so they can slow things down again, or has that been a, a true catalyst to meaningful change for many different companies in your space?
1: Yeah, yes and no, right? And mm-hmm. I think as, as you think of end customer interaction, the answer is yes, right? Okay. As you think of bringing in efficiencies to your own uh, processes and your own systems, the answer is, I think, a, um, a mixed bag right okay. uh, and that's where if you ask me is the big difference i mean if you, if you if you break it down further right i mean wh- where are we seeing some of the big transformation happening you're looking at efficiency right how do i deploy quickly how do i improve operational e- efficiency fundamentally how do i then possibly build better customer experience how do i automate processes how do i offer flexibility and agility and then ultimately how do i demonstrate some some impact on cost right so if you think of these levers of transformation and change from a technology perspective you're sitting with a customer piece which really has benefited from the overall COVID sort of dilemma right okay. um whereas the internal efficiency pieces are still playing catch up in my view
0: okay yeah um we did a piece uh, I think from Swiss Re research uh showed that um I think it was a global piece of research but it also included Asia Pac. that something like I, I don't have the number but Eighty percent of all the digitization projects in the past couple of years have really just been on claims. Uh, I guess the low-hanging fruit, perhaps. Um, does that does that uh, dovetail with your experience? And are we at a, and has that has it been successful? Are people happy with with the degree of automation in claims? And you know, are we going to see insurers be able to now take steps on top of that?
1: Yeah, it's it's claims is very much the front of mind, buzzword as well. We, we're seeing a lot of that, right? Um, that's not necessarily how it started. I think mm-hmm. we've seen um, our journey start with what we call our patented product builder, right? It's where you allow insurers to create products and distribute products very quickly without having dependency on legacy systems, right? That's really how we started, you know? And what we've evolved to now is, of course, an end-to-end policy administration system, which can be deployed module in, modu- in modules. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is we have examples where um, you know AXA in Thailand as an example, which is a live use case and we can talk about them, have specifically deployed the claims module to bring efficiency to their capabilities in the local market, but also yeah. to actually um, bring the in-house capability from a TPA back into the AXA sort of entity. So you know as, as you go through that process, you're absolutely right in um, you know, and and probably, corroborating what Swiss Re's report is, uh, claims is very much front of mind. Now, the, the bigger question around, has it been successful? I think there's always more that can be done, right? And claims as a standalone is, while it seems um, right the right and the first thing to do, it, it doesn't bring the efficiency that it needs to without the necessary integrations or the connectivity with what you would call your policy administration or your rules okay. engine. Um, And if you take a simple example, if I don't know what benefit I have,
0: how can I adjudicate it? Right. So chicken and egg question that you must have to grapple with with every client is, uh, do they need to do like the deep systems, re-architecting, move everything to cloud first before a company like CoverGo can help them actually realize gains? Or do they need to get started with whatever quick win they can get and hopefully they're also doing something so that they get data warehousing, they get their, you know, they get all the the, the hard stuff also in order separately.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, coming from, and this is my personal experience of having come from the, you know, industry and having been part of the startup sort of ecosystem, I'm a big fan of short-term tangible wins, right? And what I mean by that is I think we've seen numerous times large multi-multi-million dollar projects over three to five years um, fail miserably. And what I mean by failure, it doesn't mean that they haven't come up with um, a solution. It just means what they set out to do wasn't what they ended up with, right? Um, so I, th- I think from that perspective, I'm a big fan of saying, hey, what's the business objective? How do we really find small agile frameworks to deliver business outcomes, and do it in a meaningful manner where the business and the technology teams of large insurers can truly get value, yeah. right? So um, I guess
0: Adrian, my question is, how much value do they really get if they're still working off of creaky old on-prem mainframes? Um, you know, just are, are those quick wins? You know, are they kind of just like sugar highs?
1: No, no. So, so the quick wins are are so. Let me let me say absolutely but uh, i think the quick wins the, the quick wins are more to demonstrate confidence right okay. and let's not forget let's not forget we are a young company we are a startup right we are going up against large 150 year old um multi geography complex organizations right we've got to be able to build confidence and suc- successfully deliver business outcomes and i think right. that's where the shorter smaller um, limited frameworks have helped us build that credibility as we've now, in this example, if you look at MSIG in Hong Kong, has, you know, adopted our platform for an entire end-to-end solution, right? Yeah. As we work with another large global health insurer in Hong Kong, they've started with our proposal module and now beginning to introduce other aspects as they recognize and get comfortable and build confidence internally.
0: Yeah. And I guess as an insure tech, as a startup, as a you know, as a super optimistic, excited person, which you have to be in, in these businesses, you know, there's always that tension between you need to attack the whole value chain versus, well, maybe, but actually maybe we just start in this one thing. And you've already addressed this, but I'd just like to ask it a slightly different way is um. You know, where do you see, is there a change or does that change eventually happen with with insurance companies or other large enterprises in terms of where they go from? No, that's too big. You're boiling the ocean. It'll never work to, um, oh, well, if we, we like this this one thing, this shiny thing here, but it turns out that to make that really work, we need to also get, you know, all these other things kind of move yeah. in sync with that.
1: Yeah, no, Jamie, J- you're spot on. So I think I think the point I was making around finding a short-term business objective first approach is more to start, is to land and expand as we call it, right? right. Is to build confidence, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think you cannot ignore the bigger problem of, you know, we have 35-year-old systems sitting on-prem having been worked on for so many years that nobody has any idea what's going on, right? There are no integration capabilities in and out of that system. You've got data layers that are a mess. So I think you are absolutely right in saying, hey, do we need to think of this holistically? And is there a play to start really phasing the approach to transition from this mainframe, you know, monolithic on-prem system to a new age system that delivers business objective outcomes and business wins, right? I think the key there is a transition and to build out a nice relative relatively easy yet um i guess um something that's important and and executable for the business yeah. right yeah. in a face manner
0: yeah uh, you're you're a young company everyone's still kind of going through this are there any examples out there where you can say okay well there these transitions have been successful um and uh, and they're transformed and now they can do other things
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we're looking at it ourselves, right? As we're working through the different clients, not just in APAC, we're we're getting interest out of Saudi Arabia, out of uh, um, you know parts of Europe, out of North America now. And what's really interesting is that you know they, they're looking at us precisely for this reason. So, so I think as we go through the journey, we're beginning to see tangible outcomes, right? Yeah. And again, so what, what example- does that
0: look like, though, Ajit? What 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 is that? Obviously, there's never anything as simple as okay, yeah. now we're done and and you know like go to the beach, sure. but. But but what realistically in, in in the time frames that you would be operating with these what what is does yeah. a win probably look like or what do you what kind of expectations do you try to to frame when you're talking with your clients?
1: Yeah, so I think I think if you break insurance down into its value chain of product distribution, policy administration, renewals, and claims, if you think about that value chain, it's got to do with three things in my view. So it's either got to impact your cost. Mm-hmm. It's got to impact your revenue or it's got to impact your customer, right? And the way we look at it is those have to have a tangible outcome, right? So from a cost perspective, it's got to give you efficiency. So it's got to reduce cost ultimately to run your business using our technology versus somebody else's, right? The second is, am I bringing a better way, a more efficient way and a better way to be able to increase sales, right? And the the third, which is again, a very tangible outcome is let's go measure the NPS and see if there's been an impact, Right. When I talk to any business leader in any insurance company, I would always start there and say, don't do the project if it's not going to impact one of these three um, key areas.
0: Are you finding it easier or harder or just the same to deal with these large enterprises? They have a reputation for being kind of difficult. Um, You know, they they're just not geared to work with um, with with startups or or fintechs. and some of them are, are getting better at going agile. Uh, I, I guess that's probably a work of progress at a lot of places. But in general, you know, super long sales cycles, you know, burns up all your all your revenue or any POC cash before you can even really get anything going. Um, you know, these kind of typical complaints uh, that, that one hears. What's your experience now? I mean, are we still kind of stuck with that? Um, that kind of slog? Or is it getting better in a way that, a small company like CoverGo can interact with with big players like AXA or, or others.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly getting better, right? And that's that's shown in in the numbers. I mean, we've grown, you know, we've 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 doubled our revenue between twenty two and three. We we we've quadrupled it between twenty one and three. So, in the sense that you know, we we've, we've been able to demonstrate that, and that's only come on the back of being able to convert deals in a successful manner, right? But I think I think it's an important point to make. Uh, you cannot ignore. B2B enterprise technology sales having long sales cycles. I think it's a fact.
0: Just I think it's a feature, not a bug.
1: It's 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 part of the play, right? And I think that doesn't change for the IBMs of the world, and neither does it change for a young startup, right? Yeah. But what what we can do differently is and what we've seen come out is quite interestingly, how do you shorten that, right? And and that has that has sort of come to fruition, in my view. I think we're beginning to see you know insurance companies adopt as you said, agile approaches, you know, bite-sized problem statements and therefore really say, okay, I want a solution in three months or six months, not five years, yeah. right? And yeah. then that's, that's helped.
0: What kind of expertise do you need to have when it comes to uh, different aspects of automation? Obviously, you know, we've been talking about data and we've been talking about, um, you know, some of the, the broader, the bigger infrastructure that's maybe not, not in goes specific remit, but, you um, Neural networks, uh, different types of uh, text reading and and comprehension um, to, I guess, fill in a, a claims form or or understand, a, assess a, a claims validity. Um, you yeah. know, what what are you? What are the tools that are coming into play now?
1: Yeah, so I think I think the stuff you mentioned is is almost in the shinier bucket, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would I would say those are good to have, and we're seeing a lot of a uh, lot of um, I guess interest in you know, whether it's it's OCR technology to be able to read you know physical paper or whether it's you know um, you know AI and machine learning to help automate you know processes you know we're beginning to see a lot of that being experimented on right mm-hmm. uh, but my view on that today is we're still a ways away and the reason for that is if you don't fix your core the value of layering it with something like um, an AI model is is unhelpful ultimately yeah. Right. Okay. So I think I think the the problem that I come back to the original problem statement. It's it's old, rigid, core systems that have just been around for so long. Um, they're just unable to keep up with the pace of change that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I've, I'm I'm working on a little uh, a little thesis here uh, of of mine, and uh, I want to run it past you. Let me know what you think of this. Um, so the work that you're doing with with insurers at the stage of development that they're in uh, is not going to go away, and you probably have Lots of great business days ahead of you because there's lots of insurance companies that need this kind of fundamental help um, and advice and and the the kind of easy to use software to help them make the most of this transition that they're going through. Okay, great. Uh, once they get there, um, once they've got you know enough of their house in order, they understand data, they understand how to govern it properly, um, and they can start. With- you know, now they're starting to introduce um, some of the generative AI uh, stuff. Uh, so for example, I did an interview with AIA uh, last week. Um, you know, they obviously have a sophisticated institution, and, and that's where they say they are. Um, and the thing with Gen AI is a couple of things. First, it it moves the, the focus from all that really in the weeds operational efficiency stuff to more of the supporting the agents and, you know, much more out, you know, customer service. And then, but also it's, it's easy. I mean, that's why chat GPT, for example, is such a a famous thing in just such a space of time, because it's, it's intuitive. Any, any idiot can use this stuff. Um, You just have to basically just get some, some APIs and and you're on your way. So where do you see over time as your clients kind of graduate, you help them. Okay. Now they've got a proper data set up. They've got um, the right compute, uh, you know, they know what they're doing and they've got a mission. But then all of a sudden they're like, well, actually we can do this ourselves. you know're um, so I you know, kind of trying to test your sense of is there a shelf life on the kind of work that you do? And is there you know how do you see insure techs kind of evolving over the next year or two to, to make sure that they're in these conversations?
1: Yeah, no, I think a phenomenal question. I mean, the, the jury is not out on where anything's headed, right? I think my 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 gut tells me that core systems will remain core systems. Right. I think you need stable mainframe frameworks to be able to operate your business on, right? What you're looking at is the intersection between how do you get that data layer, how do you get the policy administration layer to be compatible mm-hmm. with the new technology that's coming our way, right? Uh, How do you leverage machine learning or AI or robotics or perhaps anything else that we are beginning to see to help with whether it's efficiency or whether it's, again, revenue or whether it's the customer? If you ask me in these three levers, how is it truly impacting, right? Um, And and that's going to be the key, right? That's going to be the key in my view. So I I don't see it becoming obsolete where I see it is really enabling uh, the insurers to be ready for, um, you know, the new age technology that's coming our way um yeah.
0: so adri you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our chat that you're the the fintech that you had been um co-founder of uh, and still have a, a hand in was all around embedded insurance so i'd love to ask this might be a little bit uh beyond what covergo is there to do but i'm sure you could bring it together for me um you know we we hear about this at conferences a lot uh you know it's a buzzword everybody likes to think about it but uh, do you have a sense that embedded insurance is is a real thing in this region? Um, and uh, are as as more insurers do go through this rational process of digitizing things and automating? Um, are they, you know, do they have? Do they seem to have a clear goal in mind when it comes to open or embedded insurance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think embedded has been you know very much part of the buzzword recently. But I, I think, in my view, is you take a step back and it's been there for a long time, right? So okay. what is what is what is embedded? I mean, the original the the OGs of embedded are bank assurance and motor dealers,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: If you think about it, uh, and they were embedding insurance to every customer that bought a product from them, right? Right. Um, and and that then that then transformed to the world of travel, where with every airline ticket you were offered travel insurance. Uh, that then transformed to device protection, where with Apple, you'd get Apple Care, right, underwritten by AIG globally. And, and in fact, I was involved in that in the region, so I'm quite familiar yeah. with how that program is run. Um, and, and then from there, you started getting innovative, smaller ticket relevant products, as they call UBI or usage band or it being relevant to the customer. Uh, and that's where you're seeing either insure techs mm-hmm. or insurers trying to sort of understand if there's a space there for them to participate in, right? So, so to come back to answer your question, I think Embedded's been there for a long time, right? And it's a proven model. Now, bringing technology for the mix, what it does is again, bring efficiency to be able to um, do it much cheaper, much quicker, bring better customer experience, and therefore have micro products with micro premiums um, being able to be, 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 be a profitable framework, right? So you can actually sell a product without human interaction Which means there's no cost to selling, so that's where I think embedded is heading. Now, uh, of course, I I can share some of my own experience having, uh, you know, introduced spectacle insurance and shoe insurance and fitness insurance into markets like India, where you know we we were selling almost two million. I think at at its current state, selling maybe upward of two million policies a month, right? Uh, And you've got similar players. You've got Cover Genius that's trying to do it globally, and you've got. Igloo and koala that are running it in other markets in the region. Uh, So I I think it's very much here to stay. The question, though, and this is an important question for not just insurers, but for the new age insurtechs, is how do you scale it Mm -hmm. and how do you make it a meaningful business, right? Because at this point, when you think of macro, you've got a commercial consumer that's already skewed. You've then got within consumer or retail insurance, motor and health and life. And then within the PNC space, you've got possibly travel and and warranty and accidental damage. So everything else is left with a very small pie. So when you take a step back and look at that macro, it's just a small component of the overall insurance space. So how, how do you start making that meaningful is the big question that I would ask.
0: So the last thing I'd ask you about is scale and, and funding. So obviously CoverGo got to start in Hong Kong. You're in Singapore. Tamash, the founder, is yep. off, uh, you know, <clears throat> conquering new worlds. Okay. Um what was the, so you guys are in the process of scaling, uh, finding those solutions. What's been the, I guess, the the secret that that unlocked this ability for you guys to go from being a, a, a small insured tech in one market to becoming a, an international player?
1: Yeah, so I, let, let me comment on funding and then let me comment on sort of how we've gotten to where we are, right? So on funding, you know, we're really proud to have announced the Series A round, um, it's almost a year and a half ago now uh, I think it was a fifteen million dollars round, which we which we announced, and really proud that you know we were able to get that and get some really good investors, strategic investors through the door. Um, I can't talk a lot about it, but we are going through a process of hopefully announcing a bridge round soon. And I'm sure I'm sure um you know our founder will talk talk more about it. Um, but 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 really, the the magic potion is is there there isn't a the magic potion, mm-hmm. right? I, th- I think it's important to understand that, you know, you've got to get out there with an intention to uh, deliver value, right? It's got to solve a problem. It's got to deliver value. And if it does, um, you will see inbound interest, right? So don't get me wrong. We have a very robust sales framework and marketing process in place to you know, deliver our message and attract the right kind of customers as, as we need to. But a lot of it is on the back of references. A lot of it is on the back of hearing about us. And looking at what we have, and really understanding if there's value to be had, and I think that's where we've seen the growth from Asia now into the Middle East, into Europe, into the Americas, and we're really excited about that.
0: Yeah, obviously the, the fact that you are there as the APAC head uh, shows uh, you know a, a degree of maturity in the business. Now um, you've been on the job for a year. Um, fast forward, Crystal Ballad, two years from now. I know it's a long way, but. You know where where do you, let's after you after you hit your third, um, what would be one way that you want to say, okay, i we did this here in this region. Yeah. Uh, you know what what's what's the big play that you want to be able to kick back and say we did that?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think um I think the macro for us is you know we want to get in the next couple of years, we want to raise a big B around and be clear about that. What that means is we need to get to a certain revenue threshold. Um obviously, that means we need to have solved problems for large complex businesses across the world. I think I think that is fundamentally what we want to get to, right? We've set our eyes on that. Now, what does that mean for me? And in this region, I, I think I'm very confident that we need to execute, you know, we need to be able to deal with enterprise-grade problems in an enterprise-grade solution framework. And that's the transition we're going through, right? From a young company to a big company. And if we're able to do that with meaningful, meaningful partners, meaningful clients in Asia, uh, I think I'll sit back and, you know, be a happy man right Uh, but but i think if i take take that into a further tangible framework right what, what does that mean it means that in the identified markets where we are today and that is hong kong singapore thailand we want to do a lot more if i look at the frontier markets for us it's japan and australia we want to start understanding how do we you know look at those complex large markets for us and how do we then get partner-ready? And what I mean by partner-ready is, how do we start working with large consultants to redistribute our products? Those are the three big things. If you ask me, if we're able to tangibly accomplish those at the end of that period, ah, then I will truly be a happy man.
0: Yeah, okay, great. Well, that's a great, uh, let's end it there, Um You've been very clear about outlining some terrific ambitions, of course, uh, if if that comes true then your clients will be also very happy so good luck uh and i look forward to uh catching up uh the next opportunity sounds good jamie thank you very much for having me